If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. The trials and challenges of life take their toll on every couple. But you refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. You long for a deep, fierce love, the stuff of legends. This is your life and your marriage. This is the legacy you will be remembered for. So we're on a mission to inspire and challenge you to live the adventure of a legendary marriage. This is episode 50 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we are your co-hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. This is the podcast for couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So every week, we're bringing you inspiration, encouragement, and of course, a challenge that'll help you build more intimacy and connection in your marriage. And we'll have a whole lot of laughs along the way. And today on the show, we have Eric Bryant, author of Not Like Me and pastor at Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. And we'll be having a conversation about how to love our opposites, even when they sleep next to us. We'll cover stuff like, is it okay to go to bed angry? Um, How do you see your spouse as a superhero? And why it's important to love people that seem to be against you in every way. So I'm super challenged by this episode because... Tell me more. (laughs) When I um, identify people in my life that are different than me, and I'm not just talking like they like different shows than I do, because I'd delete you a long time ago if that was the truth. Wait, what? You know, you're into sci-fi and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know. You just, everybody, you just heard her say she's going to delete me, right? I like, said. Like, just make a note of that. I said, if that were the case. Yeah, move on. But move I'm on, just talking on. about, like, on social media when I have. I feel so loved. <laughs> friends in my Facebook feed that have very differing, like, like let's say political views or rants or things like that, that I do not identify with. I've been known to unfollow some people. Sure. How about you? Yeah. I think there's two sides to the story. It, it we have this capacity to choose what we engage with mm-hmm. and we can also, the shadow of that, we can also end up just being amongst fellow choir mates. Mm, yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like preaching to the choir, you just, if you cut out people with different ideas, you start to become smaller, I think. I totally I totally agree. And that's what Eric challenges us to do on this episode. But I'm just saying I'm not great at that. I'm just owning it. I'm not great at it. Yeah. Um, so we also talk in this episode about personality tests. And Justin is infamous for not loving to be put in a box. Um, but it's we still... not a box. We find them very interesting. I find personality tests very interesting. Yes, they are. They are. They're interesting, fascinating, very useful. I use them in my coaching all the time. And yet, the instant that you start to say, "Oh, I know this. I know you. Yeah. Oh, you're an ENFP, or you're an ENFT, or whatever." Those are Myers Briggs yeah. personality assessments. The minute you start to start to go, "Oh, I got your number." Even to yourself, uh, you just end up starting to play smaller. Well, I know. And judge people. I know. We, so Eric challenges us to embrace the whole personality test kind of a thing. He talks about the Enneagram and the Myers Briggs, and mm-hmm. we'll, ta- we'll break that down more in the show. But, but today on the show, we have author and pastor Dr. Eric Bryant. Woohoo! 
We know Eric from back in the day when Danielle and I both were on staff at Gateway Church here in Austin. And Eric always has this way of challenging us to make our circles bigger and Mm -hmm. more diverse and celebrate the differences amongst us. Yeah, Eric served as on the leadership team with Erwin McManus at Mosaic Church in LA. He's where they're known for creativity, diversity, and he's also a church planner. Yeah. And now Eric serves as lead pastor for the South Campus of Gateway Church alongside uh, senior pastor John Burke. Eric embraces the true sense of the church's mottos, no perfect people allowed and come as you are. Don't stay that way. Eric lives with his wife, Deborah, and his son, Caleb, and daughter, Trevi, near downtown Austin. So welcome to the show, Eric Bryant. So tell us, who's your team and how are they doing? Because it's World Series time. We got the baseball fever. Yes, I have been <laughs> more Dodger games than any other professional sports team in my entire life. So I am pulling for the Dodgers uh, I grew up a Rangers fan, and so if, if they'd been playing each other, it would have been hard. But as a Rangers fan, I grew up not liking the Astros. But they're a hard team to root against. They have some great players, and of course, the city's been through so much. But the Dodgers, I, I'm hoping they pull it out. You know, I mean, right now, California, they've gone through a lot lately, and right now they're having some, it's like the hottest World Series yeah. in history or something. Oh it's like 100-degree games and crazy stuff like that, so... All right, go Dodgers. I don't know if we're um, we're probably past that by this point. You know, by the time this goes live, they'll be like Dodgers. We forgot about them already. Isn't that weird? How It'd you forget like, about the team that won the previous year, unless it's your team. You're like, yeah. I don't even remember. People who. will listen to this, and it'll be like uh, the the future almanac thing from uh, <laughs> Back to the Future. We'll be we'll be knee deep in college football season by then, I guess. That's yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about your book. Yes, I have a book called "Not Like Me: Learning to Love, Serve, and Influence a Divided World," mm-hmm. and it's a tenth anniversary edition of the original, which was called "Peppermint Filled Pinatas: Breaking Through Tolerance." And embracing love, but it's completely rewritten. So much has changed in the last ten years. Uh, the the each chapter kind of deals with how do you love and serve and make a difference in the lives of people who vote differently, who look at the world differently, who might make different moral choices that might look differently or believe differently. And in many ways, I think it is more uh, relevant now than ever. And so my hope is it's an encouragement to people to become peacemakers in this angry world. Okay, so really the name was Peppermint Filled Pinatas? Yes, it came out about the same time as Blue Like Jazz. So the publisher Uh was going for esoteric. And uh, and then a, a church did a sermon series using my book for their small groups, but they called the sermon series Not Like Me. And since then, there's been dozens of churches that have used not like me as... And you're like, oh, I guess I better just change it for the love of Pete. It makes more sense for sure. Yeah. Um, Peppermint-filled piñatas. I'm just thinking how much I love piñatas, but I would be upset if peppermints came out. Like, I'm always looking for, like, the chocolate and, like, the good stuff. Well, that's why... That is why, basically, I did that for my poor kids. I found <laughs> 600 peppermints for $6, so I filled up 
or was planning to fill up the pinata for their birthdays. They shared uh, a party one year. My wife was very upset with me. So she went out and bought the, the good candy. But the whole idea is, unfortunately, uh, the message of Jesus, sometimes uh, people have to break through, they have to learn our songs, they have to say our words, they have to dress like we want them to dress in order to break through. And then what they get is something that's sweet, but unsatisfying. Mm. Instead, the the people of God should be breaking down the barriers between us and the world to indicate a love that is supernatural, not just sweet and unsatisfying. So that's the image that the the story kind of tells uh, is really about the people of Jesus actually becoming the people he wants us to be. I've always thought Jesus and pinatas went together. So it makes sense. It's a lot of sense. Um, okay. What about um, when you have barriers in your own marriage? I mean, I know that Justin, there's a lot of things about him that are totally opposite from me. But when we first started dating, I thought there was like, cool and like intriguing and when we first started dating i was cool and intriguing mysterious now it's something else that's that's great now it's things that are you're like really are you gonna keep doing that (laughs) that is kind of human nature we're attracted to the opposite and yet the opposite annoys us and so there is something to what you're saying they're they're especially the younger someone is when they meet that special someone, we, we tend to especially be drawn to those who are different than us. The older we get uh, when we're dating, the more drawn to someone like us. But it is human nature to kind of be attracted to that opposite, even though it can create some challenges later on. I'm wondering if opposite people are really like make us better. Like, or, or the people that are similar to you, like bring out the best in you. What do you think? Well, honestly, I've seen both work. And so, you know, for any of your listeners who are single, you know, you may want to gauge and figure out, well, do I want someone who is more introverted, even though I'm an extrovert or vice versa? But for those who are married, uh, I want to say that if you married someone just like you or you married something, someone very different than you, I've seen both work very well. And sometimes you'll see a couple that are both, you know, extroverted and they're, and they're, you know, great with people, but they're, but they're, they don't have that side of them that's more reflective. And so that may just not be a part of their family's culture. Um, But I've seen others that are completely the opposite and mom kind of brings certain skills that dad doesn't and vice versa. What about your wife, you and your wife, are y'all opposites? Yeah. Yes, uh, we are uh, very much opposites. We're, we certainly share the same values, have a lot of similar um, experiences growing up, both growing up in Texas and growing up as uh, part of families that would be, you know, went to church on Sundays and that sort of thing. But if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, uh, she's an introvert, I'm an extrovert. She's uh, a feeler, I'm a thinker. She's a perceiver, I'm a judger. And so you're well, all opposites in every possible yeah, capacity. I love it. Except we're both intuitive. And so I think the fact we both met in Texas and yet we're drawn towards the West Coast. So the first 17 years of our marriage were spent in Seattle and Los Angeles. And then the last seven years have been here in Austin. And so we do both share kind of a 
um, well, we like big cities. We like living close to downtown. That definitely is part of the intuitive that we share. Uh, and we have, you know, certain ways we see the world that are a little bit different, even though our parents all, you know, both moms, both dads are sensing. So we were raised kind of in a, in a world that's better with facts and details. And in Dallas, Fort Worth, which is very much a more sensing kind of city. Uh, but we were drawn to the more intuitive West Coast and certainly Austin is, is more intuitive as well. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about how regions have a, a personality in that regard. Um, yeah, absolutely. What's fascinating too, uh, as someone I was trained in the Myers-Briggs and trained in StrengthsFinder, use Enneagram, which is another fascinating assessment as well. But what's fun is every time I've ever done a kind of get to know yourself experience uh, in Seattle or in LA or here in Austin, it's filled up with people who are intuitive and all of those intuitives moved to those cities from uh, kind of the red states or red it's parts. It's like a, they're magnets. They are beacons yeah. that call to their people. Yeah. Well, and those, you know, the more intuitive feeler types are the ones who love assessments. So anytime I'm talking <laughs> That's about true. It, they fill the, fill the slots up. Oh, geez. That's very true. I'm wondering, has there ever been a time when the the opposites kind of collided for you and your wife oh absolutely i mean many times and certainly that's where you know our faith and remembering how much we love each other comes into play but there are times we just completely see the world differently and all right give us give us a story lay out the nitty-gritty here uh eric yeah Yeah, i mean parenting has been maybe the, the most challenging part of our marriage in some ways um, there are expectations that are unexpressed, things that she expected I would do or things I expected she would do. And that got us into trouble 10 years ago. But more recently, uh, raising kids, teenagers, uh, they, typically teenagers go through a phase in life where they don't want to go to church. And, you know, and, and they might sit with mom in the service or something like that. And so, I was raised and that in, goes well for the pastor's kid, right? Yeah. As a pastor's kid, yeah, it's not necessarily I want her to learn about her faith from others besides just me at this point in her life. And so I was raised forced to go to youth group. And I had to go to, you know, services three times a week. And eventually, uh, although in middle school I would sneak out and I would pretend to be sick, but eventually my faith became my own. Whereas my wife, she tends to always do the right thing without being forced. And so we, we went round and round for an entire year of should we force our kids or should we let them choose? And in the end, we finally both agreed that we only have limited time. And if they're not wanting to talk about spiritual things with us, let's get some 20-year-olds in their life that they'll listen to perhaps. And so we finally got on the same page, but literally for a year felt like every week we were having the same conversation with each other and then the same conversation with our kids. And uh, one of our kids loves the youth group, has lots of friends there. The other one has been more resistant, but more recently seems to be enjoying it. So I think in the end, it takes us a while sometimes to get on the same page, but usually we see things from every angle to finally get there. Yeah. In that process, how the heck do you keep from driving each other crazy? Because... (laughs) 
I think we've had a couple of these conversations lately. Yeah. You know, I think this is a rare moment because I feel like every time we go to record a podcast, we're always driving each other crazy. And then we would get on the air and we're all like cantankerous. We're actually getting along this morning. It might be like the fatigue still, like our our glow from our our weekend together. Sure. Maybe you're too tired to fight. (laughs) Yeah, I'm too tired to care that much. Uh, No, Yeah. How do you keep from driving each other crazy in the middle of that? Well, one thing I've discovered and I'm, I like to come to closure. And so when it comes to our relationship, typically I'm kind of pursuing her to resolve things, whereas she's the runner. So she's not wanting to resolve things or not wanting to deal with the conflict. So what we've sort of, sort of, uh, sorted out is, you know, how the scriptures say, don't let the sun go down Uh, with your anger. One of the things that's helped me is if we set aside, well, let's talk about this on Saturday during breakfast. It feels resolved in the moment. And as someone who likes to come to closure, it gives us a more productive time to have meaningful conversations. So it's almost like we'll table the conversation instead of trying to solve this at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. Let's spend between Tuesday and Saturday on our own, praying about what we should do, seeking God about what we should do in the scriptures, maybe getting some counsel so that when we do come together on Saturday, and for some couples, I encourage them to do this, you know, at a public setting, if they have a hard time keeping their... Ooh, I like that. (laughs) You're going to bring out your trash, you're doing it off the coffee shop. Let's have our heated fellowship at Rudy's. That's right. Because that smoke, it just it just calms yeah. your brain. That's you right. know, you Soothes can't you soul. can't be mad around barbecue. But it's all but all of a sudden it's almost like a, a business meeting. So you set aside all the things that that are unresolved, yeah. and you spend that good hour, two hours together working through it. So that then when you do have a date night or you're sitting at home uh, watching television or sharing a meal together, it's not like you have to keep talking about it. And so for us, that seems to be something that's been very helpful. Really for us, it's, it's not going out to eat at breakfast, but more on a walk that we kind of set aside. Well, let's tomorrow night, let's go on a walk. Let's pray and talk and let's see if we can get on the same page about this. And that's... You know seems- what? I love the walk thing too, because like yeah, there's just the actual like physiological like when you start to exercise, you start to walk, it it sends those chemicals to your brain that like really do center you a little bit more. So you don't feel like you're quite so crazy. And I love the metaphor of you're walking shoulder to shoulder and you're both headed in the same direction as you're talking about something. That's nice. I like that. You're right. I think that is symbolic and it is powerful for sure. You know, I, I, and the other thing I love that you mentioned is, is go and seek some outside counsel, pray, read, reflect, because like when you say, oh, well, let's wait, let's time out. Let's wait for Thursday to have that conversation. My brain, I'm spinning on it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm spinning around and around practicing my argument and <laughs> but you know what? I feel like that. I feel like it does honor the scripture yeah. in that, like, don't let the sun go down in your anger, but it's like, okay, I'm just tabling my anger. It's not like I'm, I don't think it's a seething point. It's just a pause. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. And the, the going seek counsel, pray, reflect, uh, gives me something to, to channel that energy at rather than stewing and creating bitterness and resentment. 
Yeah. And I, I had a conversation with a couple recently that were going through a tough time. And what what we realized as we were talking, they were definitely opposites. And what was happening inadvertently was every night he felt picked on. And every night she felt it was important to make sure he knew what he was doing wrong. And so he, he was always finding himself at a deficit and she was always finding him, you know, at a deficit. And so by encouraging her to not keep a record of wrongs so much, but, but on your next date, uh, not a date, business meeting, uh, but on your next time set aside to work things through, that's when you should share about your concerns about the past week. And what I think they're going to discover is some of the things that in the moment on Tuesday at 630 that bothered her, she won't even remember by Saturday. And all of a sudden, she's being more intentional about speaking out the things she sees that she's grateful for in him. And so that is what he feeds on, the love language of affirmation. For him, uh, she was just tanking him. And so he's, you know, in this unfortunately defeated spirit thinking I could never please her when in reality, he's a great dad, he's a great husband, but they were just kind of in this cycle of discouragement and uh, setting it aside for a later date seemed to help them a lot. Yeah. And Eric, you talk about um, just couples having like a big picture or a vision for their marriage. And it's like when you have the big picture and you can see the big story, the little things that bug you about the person kind of don't seem quite as annoying or big. (laughs) No, that's true. It's funny because, and this is going to sound awful because my wife's not here to defend herself, but let's do it. (laughs) She'll hear it on the podcast. She'll know just between us. That's right. I'll, I'll tease her. And certainly there are moments that she points out my foibles, but I'll tease her that, I have to remind myself, I didn't marry her for her work ethic or, you know, name, name that issue that what drew me to her was her uh, ability to, to enjoy and imagine life as what it could be. And, and so all of a sudden I have to go backwards and think, wait a second, I'm trying to get her to be more like me. Whereas I'm the one who's constantly moving and working around the house and working, I'm trying to learn how to slow down more like her. And she's, you know, incredibly productive, but just in a different way than I am. I mean, she would sit down with someone who's going through a tough time for four hours and they are better for it. And that's just not the speed at which I normally know how to do things. And so, again, there's kind of this, if we're not careful, we judge people based on ourselves rather than realizing how much they bring to us. And so you have to kind of reorient things to remember, wait a minute, this is why I brought her into my life. I love, you know, the pace at which she lives. So I can't be annoyed by the pace at which she lives. Uh, when I'm frantic, you know, just because I'm in a bad place doesn't mean I should drag her down to, the, to that bad place. Well, we just got back from the Legendary Marriage Intensive in Breckenridge, Colorado. And in the words of our eldest child, well, that was fun. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Couples brought new light to their love story, had great adventures, and they were ensuring a legendary path forward. Oh, yeah. It's amazing the power of sharing your stories and how it draws the two of you closer together and connects a group as well. 
And you know, the best part is how looking at your story, you can reveal what God has been weaving throughout your marriage. I love jeeping on the mountainside. Even when you have to try every single gear not to slide down breakneck pass. Whose idea was that anyway? Um, I'm not going to (laughs) say. I love the time to just refill the tank and rest and especially our conversations in the morning in the hot tub. Hubba hubba. Yeah, Mm -hmm. couples had (laughs) plenty... Couples had plenty of time for conversations, leading to aha moments, bringing them closer together. Yeah, one couple even left uh, wanting to know what it would look like to bring a whole group and come back again next time. Oh, yeah. So join us next time for the Legendary Marriage Intensive on February 15th through 18th, a perfect way to celebrate Valentine's yes. Day. Yes. Check it out at legendarymarriage.com intensive for more details on how to register. And now back to our interview, part two, with Eric Bryant. Let's kind of turn the corner a little bit here and talk about uh, how those those personality assessments and those tools can help us get clear about who we are and deal with some of that stuff as well as who who our spouse is. Absolutely. Well, the the four I always point out uh, to folks is Myers-Briggs. And a lot of folks have taken that at work or when they were in college. So it's not as hard to come across. And there's free versions online. Uh, I offer a, a more in-depth version at my website. Um, and it, it's really just a fascinating way to consider how people look at the world differently. So the four dichotomies, you're either an extrovert or an introvert. And that's all about the energy, that you draw energy from the external world. So at the end of a busy week, an extrovert wants to be with people. Uh, at the end of a busy week, an introvert does not. And now my wife's an introvert, but I'm included in her introverted world. And so she is still rejuvenated uh, when the two of us are sharing a coffee or going on a walk. That still fits within her introverted world. And then intuitive and sensing, I mean, this is really an interesting one, too, because people are literally seeing different things. So if I were to say to a sensing person as ho- while I was holding a rose, what do you see? They would say a rose. Uh, you know, petals, uh, stem, thorns. But if I were to ask an intuitive, what do you see? They would say the bachelor, homecoming, love. Now they're both telling the truth, but they are completely seeing different things. That intuitive is seeing something and then making that intuitive leap. It it reminds them of something else. Mm. And then making decisions based on how does this affect people? That's a feeler versus how, what is most logical? That's a thinker. And then judges and perceivers, uh, judges want to come to closure as quickly as possible. Perceivers want as much information before deciding. And, and so once you start to realize that your spouse isn't opposed to you, isn't against you, isn't malevolently trying to annoy you, but they literally see the world differently. They absolutely make decisions completely differently. All of a sudden, it will start to help you value their difference mm-hmm. rather than be so upset about their difference. And the other other assessments I've mentioned, the Enneagram is based on the seven deadly sins. Uh, so the early church kind of looked at the ways that the enemy, the darkness uh, would attack people. And so if you, if you know where someone is weak, they added, by the way, fear and deceit to the seven deadly sins. To is come that up. why the Enneagram gets on our nerves so much? Man, oh, it, I would say uh, just in my opinion, Enneagram is not what you would call an uplifting. Oh, no. 
kind of uh, an assessment Well, every tool. time we go to talk about Enneagram personality assessments, Justin always like gets his angry blood up. He's like, this is the most judgmental personality test I've ever seen. <laughs> well, like uh, Karen, who you know, and and like we run in this circle of people who, who uh, love Enneagram for some reason and talk about it all the time. Finally, I went and did it. And I was like, well, uh, I'll be in the corner drinking bourbon. Um, well, what, what I love about it, though, is it, it, it's actually the best assessment when it comes to understanding who you are when you're stressed. Yeah. And so it, it kind of shows you this continuum from stress to in a great place. It's almost like, if you think about it, we're not always the same. So when we're on vacation, we're different than when we are in a good place versus where we are when we're in a bad place. And yeah. so being able to articulate that and, again, know that about your sp- spouse Oh, okay. She's stressed right now. So maybe I shouldn't try to solve this big dilemma. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a good point, Eric. How do you take this knowledge that you have, whether it's a personality assessment or you read the five love languages book or whatever it is, how do you take that information that you have in your pocket and really apply it on a day to day? Well, one thing that I encourage folks to do is when they do go on a date, and of course, if you if you can as a couple try to go on a date regularly, hopefully weekly, and sometimes it's harder when you have little ones or you're in a busy season of life, but don't talk about logistics, don't talk about the kids, don't talk about work. Instead, use date nights as a chance to talk about each other. This becomes, these personality assessments become great fodder. They, it, it is a way to get to know yourself and to get to know your, your spouse better. So, I mean, oftentimes we'll bring a little book along with us and, and kind of tonight, let's talk about what does it mean? You know, what does your shadow look like when it comes to your Enneagram or, or what does this mean? This love language, help me understand quality time. Like sometimes it's a great jumping off point, I think to just continually get to know each other. And that's part of the beauty of a relationship. You know, a lifelong marriage is you're still getting to know that person. Certainly the longer you're together, you know, the better able you're, you are to complete their sentences, so to speak. But, but there's also just so much more to know about that person. Stories maybe you've never heard. So for us, that's kind of the way we continue to foster growing to know each other, but on a daily basis, it's almost like when you find yourself in the midst of a conflict, kind of stopping and thinking, is she just seeing this differently? Is this part of what drew me to her? Um, Or even, you know, accessing that part of her. I mean, she has a gift of discernment. She has a a strength called restorative, which means she can see what's broken. Hmm. And so just kind of pausing and saying, you know, Deborah, what do you see that I'm missing here? And really starting to see her uniqueness as her superpowers and how together we are so much better than we are on our own. Yeah. So um, we're talking about this in the context of marriage. And uh, like we hold that when you're married, everything in your life is a part of that. It's inside that kind of a bucket. And so I know uh, I'm going to kind of turn the corner here a little bit. I know you use a lot of these tools as a leader with your teams. And so I'm curious, like just the same kind of a thing as getting to know each other and building trust and building that team dynamic. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. It was interesting. When I was trained in StrengthsFinder, they shared the story how originally they were trying to figure out Gallup, the the folks who created StrengthsFinder. They were trying to figure out what are the strengths that make a great CEO? 
So they started interviewing all these CEOs and they were surprised by their findings. They discovered none of the CEOs shared the same strengths, but they all did share one thing in common. They all knew their strengths, worked within those strengths and hired people who were strong in areas where they were weak. And so part of what is important to realize is all of these assessments describe how you might accomplish something, but it doesn't limit what you can accomplish. In other words, you can be a great CEO as an introvert, a great CEO as an extrovert. And and so to me, you never want to use these assessments to judge others or to limit others or even limit yourself. You know, well, I'm an ENTJ, so I'm just always going to be a type A and, and a jerk when it comes to time. That's not okay either. You know, these assessments don't include character. They don't include passion. They don't include godliness. You know, you can have, uh, I think Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler are probably the same Myers-Briggs, right? One used their powers for good, one used their powers for evil. And so when it comes to our our leadership team and when it comes to our volunteers, these are tools we use to, to try to really help inspire and equip them to be even more effective in doing what they're doing. And certainly there are things you just have to do that are just part of the job. That's the character building side. You never want to get to a place where, well, my personality is such that I don't deal with that, you know, but you want to have the kind of more clarity at what am I really good at and who can I recruit uh, that would love to volunteer in an area where I'm not so good. I feel like that takes a lot of um, humbleness to be able to accept that, like, I want to bring someone into my life that knows something or can tap into a strength that I am totally horrible at. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think you have to, at a point, like your ego has to take a serious check to be able to bring people into your life that have a lot of strengths that you do not. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah. I was thinking about that in terms of uh, the just the way I know how I roll and I roll it, it, as an extrovert uh, and the other places of, of quantification, I roll hard and fast and like I want to get things going. And um, just the, the notion I was thinking there, pausing about how do I engage with the people that I'm working with on my team uh, in a way that relates well with them and, and build bridges there. Yeah. And I think that's important. And even, you know, as I meet with the folks that I'm teaming with asking them, what do you need from me? How can I better serve you to do what you're called to do? And certainly seeing a job description as really the responsibilities that need to be uh, accomplished, but it doesn't necessarily have to be with you at the forefront but you, as the leader, making sure you have volunteers that are stepping in and covering those areas that, that they are actually passionate about. You know, it's funny, when I was in Los Angeles, this is where a lot of these assessments uh, kind of came to play in our life and in ministry and in marriage. And I was talking to our senior pastor there at Mosaic. His name is Erwin McManus. And I asked him, you know, what can I work on? What am I doing well? And, and he gave me this really sweet backhanded compliment. He said, Eric you know, I've noticed you are really good at teaming with people who are more gifted than you are. And I thought, (laughs) how do I take that? (laughs) Uh, Thank you. He said, he said that when you're willing to work with people more talented than you are, you can accomplish much more. 
right? And, and if you think about it, and as I did, it kind of reflected on that. If I was only willing to work with people less talented than me, then I have a very small pool from which to draw. But if I can work with people more talented than me, then the sky's the limit. That's, you know, most of the planet perhaps can be <laughs> part of my team if I'm willing to, you know, focus on the mission, not so much whether or not I'm getting the credit or which part I'm accomplishing within that mission. Yeah. I feel like uh, there's a lot of just with social media and things like that, there's just a lot of avenues for, I, you know, meeting people of different viewpoints, um, of different strengths. But honestly, man, sometimes those people, I feel like they're crazy. And Justin and I are the only sane people in this whole world. <laughs> Lord help us if that's true. <laughs> so how do you integrate those people into your life and like use their strengths and everything when you feel like their viewpoints are totally opposite? Well, there's something called the Medici effect. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, there was this great book by Franz Johansson that came out a few years ago. And he basically talked about how the Medici family was this very wealthy family. And they brought people from all over the planet who had different backgrounds. They were from different tribes and ethnicities, but they also had different disciplines. And a lot of the Renaissance was born when you took people who had different vantage points and different skills and mixed them together. And so there they were in Italy and, and, and dreaming and experimenting and creating together. And so once you begin to realize uh, the beauty of diversity and how someone who comes from a different background or sees things from a different point of view can actually shape in a good way uh, your vantage point. All of a sudden, you know, it all it it makes the you a better communicator. It makes you a better leader. I, I remember in Seattle befriending a, a kid who was Muslim. He was from Eritrea, a country that used to be part of Ethiopia. And at first, as I was spending time with him, I started thinking through, you know, I got to I got to do some studying on Islam so I can debate with him and prove to him my God can beat up his God, that sort of thing. And <laughs> that usually works pretty well. So oh, that's, a, that's a good plan. It's a good plan. As we now know with Facebook, uh, shouting at people does not work. Uh, I don't know yeah. if anyone's mind has been changed from an angry post. Amen, uh, brother. But... <laughs> What was beautiful, even as I sat down with Saeed and got to know him, and he shared with me more of his story, I actually discovered, well, one, I knew more about Islam than he did. He was kind of dragged to the mosque on Fridays, much like some kids are dragged to church on Sundays. But he basically helped me better understand his vantage point as an immigrant, as someone who looked very different than everybody else in Seattle, as someone who was poor, like his friendship made me a more rounded, well-rounded person. Uh, it helped me better communicate even to some of his friends about a God who is loving, that you don't have to wonder if you've done enough good to gain his favor. Like his friendship really made me a better person, a better communicator, a better servant leader so that since then, I've had a chance to see people from that background step into a relationship with Jesus. And I don't think I would have had that had I seen him as an adversary instead of a friend who might just see the world differently than me. I hear you saying like, just looking like if you can do just like a heart to heart connection with a person, you know, that's so powerful instead of looking at all the details and like where they come from and what their religion is and, you know, where, where they live and what their family's like. And 
if you can just have a heart connection with a person, how rich will that be? Yeah. And that's the beauty of marriage. I mean, in, in many ways, what we're learning as human beings, when we're committing to someone who isn't exactly like us, there is some ironing that's, sh- you know, the iron sharpening the iron. And so if you can learn to be more and more selfless with your spouse, it'll help you be more selfless with your kids, which could help you be more selfless at work and more selfless with your neighbors. Like these are skills that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be dying to ourself. And, and if, if we can exercise that at home, it can spread to where we go. And unfortunately, there are some of us that are nice outside of the home and our true selves at home, but it's supposed to be dun, dun, dun. right. It's supposed to be integrated. You know, we're supposed to the inside match the outside wherever we are. And, and that's the, the beauty, I think, of this, this following after Jesus, because Jesus interacted with people who did not see the world the same, who had made different choices than he had. And if his kindness led to repentance, you know, Romans 2, 4, then perhaps our kindness could help others find repentance as well. Yes. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to start to wrap it up, but uh, a couple questions. What's possible when opposites come together? Well, the beauty of, of opposites coming together is the capacity to do more. Uh, we can see more of the world. We can experience more of the world through the eyes of our spouse. Um, I, I think there's something truly beautiful about um, allowing someone else, like you said earlier, Danielle, that humility to to be willing to learn from someone who just sees things differently. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're different. And they are loved by God, just as you are loved by God. And, and realizing that can really open your eyes, not only to experience more of the world, but to accomplish more together. Um, it, it's like a superpower, right? When you bring two people with, with divergent skills into one uh, super combo. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Justin's always up for a superhero reference over here. Yes. <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm already thinking about Thor coming out in a few weeks. Um, What do you think it takes to make a legendary marriage, Eric? Well, I think it really is boiled down to Ephesians 5. If both husband and wife are trying to outserve the other, it's amazing how beautiful things can be. And if you're in a relationship for what you can get out of it, you will be limited in what you'll get out of it. But if you trust Jesus, when he said, if you lose your life in serving others, that's how you find your life. The best place to experience that is in the home with the one you've chosen to live your life with. And so to me, a legendary marriage is built on that selfless love for each other, sacrificial love. Mm. I love it. And Eric, you got, you've had so much uh, wisdom today and um, we've, we can find your book. Tell us where else we can find you other than your book, Not Like Me. Yeah. If you go to ericbryant.org, you can click on the book to get a discounted version Uh, for those that want to do a sermon series or small group series. There's also uh, discounted rates. It's now on Kindle as well. And certainly at my website, we have all sorts of resources there, articles, assessments, things that can serve people, whether it's in uh, their job or in their marriage or in their ministry. Fantastic. 
All right, Eric. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me. You guys keep up your great work. Yeah, I'm really challenged about the idea of surrounding yourself with people smarter than you are. Well, you know, that's a pretty high bar for you. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's there's parts inside of me that likes to feel like the smartest person. Sure. And you are an incredibly smart person. Well, I know. I'm not trying to say all that, but um, there is a lot of truth in surrounding yourself with smarter people. Yeah, I learned that a long time ago. It was probably high school really taking mm. AP classes and things like that, where I figured out that um, not just for grades, but, but just in life, it's best to surround yourself. I, like I found a group of guys that I, that I liked and trusted and respected and looked up to in different ways. Well, it's a cool idea too. Cause it's like, it always gives you something to aim for. You're always like mm-hmm. trying to do a little more, learn a little more things like that. It stretches you. Yes. So yes. I love that idea of doing kind of the ego check. You got to get out there and stretch yourself, fool. Yeah, stretch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric did mention the personality test, the Enneagram. So he's got a link on his website for you to take a free Enneagram quiz. So our challenge to you this week is get on there, take the Enneagram quiz, you and your spouse both, and then... Find the uh, results to your personality assessment on Enneagram and get together and discuss what you find. Yeah, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So go and, and check it out and then come join the conversation in our free community on Facebook. It's a private group for men and women to support, encourage, inspire, and share about transforming marriage from ordinary to legendary. Yeah, just search for Legendary Marriage Group or visit legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash zero five zero. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.